The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine Opie show. Lasano and Friends. Did you guys know yes. that Family Guys are very smart show? No, uh. South Park is actually the smartest show. Why? Because it's a very conservative show done yes. in a very liberal manner, and there is so much rhetoric. Yeah. Oh my God, I, I know. I still disagree that South Park is the smartest show. However, yes, <laughs> it is smart in that it fools a lot of people into thinking that it's funny and or that it, it is that it is making fun of okay, everything. Okay, out of the things. four shows. South Park, yes. Simpsons, yes. Family Guy, and Flintstones, yes. which is a smart show. Hold on, why are you including Flintstones? <laughs> Lasano and Friends, Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits podcast network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable, and you're listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Lou, we've been talking uh, throughout uh, the uh, summer, and the summer is long gone, unfortunately. All the cars we see uh, on the road during uh, car show season, not only at car shows, but just driving around. And it kind of fritters away once the weather gets cold. But uh, have a couple of, uh, they happen to all be Ford pickup trucks, too. A little bit of uh, spotted on the roads here with uh, cars that I've seen uh, driving to and from the Car Guys Report studios. Uh, Recently, a 65 black Ford pickup truck parked in a uh, apartment complex parking lot. The uh, vehicle looks to be fairly original. It's not all um, customized like some of the uh, 65 Ford pickups. It's always a classic style. That's a really nice looking truck. Another classic style too you may remember from the TV show Sanford and Son. He drove a a Ford pickup as well. I'm not sure what year it was. It was a 52. I think it was a 52 actually. Um, A 52 Ford pickup truck at a uh, feed store uh, not too far from the uh, Car Guys Report warehouse. I call it a farm truck, uh, green in color, uh, looked pretty original and looked like it's uh, still doing its job as far as uh, working. And... um, I don't know if you're. Uh, do you, do you are, are you friends or or familiar with your uh, mailman, uh, Lou, at your house? I've I've chatted with him a bit. I yeah. can't say we're friends. Well, I'd say we're uh, well acquaintances. We, I mean, we've you, said hello to each yeah, other. Sure. Okay, because I know I know my mailman. Um, his name is Ray. And the other day, I was just happened to be outside when he was coming up to the uh, mailbox. So I. I just got the mail uh, right from him at the truck, and he was at, because he knows I'm into cars, because he sees some of the magazines I get and things like that, and he asked me if there was an available for a 52 um, Ford pickup die cast. He said, all I've been able to find is like the uh, the Sanford and Son ones, and I think it's a friend of his that, that has a 52 Ford pickup, and I said, what color is it? And he goes, it's uh, like a dark metallic blue or some kind of metallic blue, and I said, well, I'll, t- I'll take a look. And I, I did some research, and the only thing I could find was there was a lot of 52 Ford pickups die casts that are either Sanford and Son or, like, State Farm Insurance or Napa Auto Parts. They put the stuff on the sides of the, the doors and stuff. There wasn't anyone that was, like, totally plain. Um, and the closest thing I could find it for him was a 51 Ford pickup, which looks 
I think identical to the 52. They didn't change the grill or the hood or anything because it has those. The, the, the thing about those 52 Fords is they have kind of the, the snouts in the front of the hood. So it's a very identifiable thing. And I found one that would, was a 143rd scale. And I said, those are actually nicer because they're not as big and dopey as the 118th scale. And they're, they're actually more detailed. And this one came with a little display case. It was only like 16 bucks, And it was black. So I gave him that information and he seemed excited about it. So always good to uh, help out somebody. Uh, looking whether it's a diecast model or anything because that's one thing I, I've noticed that shows Lou is um, I was lucky enough to find a one eighteenth scale uh, of my fifty eight Impala and it was a, a, a release that came out earlier in twenty nineteen. And it's painted the Sierra gold color, so really? it's almost exactly what my car is. The only wow. the only difference is the 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 hood, the roof. Instead of being white, how is it how it is on my car? The model that I have, it's it's a uh, and this was a color that they used in '58. I'm trying to remember what it, what they call it. It's like a coral beige or something. Like it. It's kind of a, a very light beige, but the body is the Sierra gold. And uh, the interior they got knocked down, you know, as, as good as they're ever going to get for a, you know, those, those models are never 100% correct. But this thing is like 96% correct for my car. And it's great. So when, when I'm at a car show with the Impala, I'll either put it on the rear deck or on the um, dashboard as a, you know, an accoutrement, as, as you might say, or your jewelry, as, as you like to call it. And I get so many people saying like, hey, where'd you find one just exactly like that? I said, luckily they made it in, in my color because that is one of the, the, the questions that or, or the quests that people at car shows seem to be on is, is trying to find a die-cast model that is as close to their collector car as possible. Whether And usually they, they, can, they say like, yeah, I can only find a 68 and I'm looking for a 69 or they all come in white. And my car is red. And, and it's just like, well, you know, if you have enough money, I think you can actually commission people to do that. And they 3D print you, a, you know, some kind of a die cast or resin model these days. But it is interesting that there seems to be a demand for people looking for that and, and, and trying to find. Do you have any models of any of your cars, like your Viper or... Um, I do. I, I, I have a, a younger son and I sadly pepper him with all of the cars that I wish I had. Yeah. So he's got uh, <laughs> one eighteenths of Vipers and one eighteenths of Corvettes. And he's, I actually took a picture one time, like an overhead picture up on a ladder. And I actually filled his entire floor wow. and put him in the middle of it. Wow. So, um, uh, sadly, now he's 15, and I don't think he could care less about those things. But. Well, I'm I'm a kid at heart because my girlfriend keeps buying me um, matchboxes and and uh, Hot Wheels every time she goes to the store. Yeah, and literally they're they're all over our house. They're on our wall unit in our living room. They're in my office. I must have easily probably two or three hundred of them I and just have, and I, she just buys them because she goes i can never remember if you have this one or not i have like some of them i have three of that all the same color yeah. and i'm like honey <laughs> i already have this one but in my in my office there is the special edition batmobile so there was like three levels of that there was a baseline level a uh uh, limited edition, then something like the super limited edition, yeah. numbered to 1966, of course, which came with a aluminum Batman shield type of back background to it. But uh, I think die casts are fun; they yeah. really are. And the challenge is really to try to find one that, 
like I was saying, is as close as possible to, to the actual car that you drive. Because some of them are just very cheaply made. Uh, the ones that you might find in like a home improvement store, you know, they, they just have like an end cap of stuff to, you know, so kids that are shopping with their parents go like, mommy, buy me this. And they're, they're like the, the ones that are very detailed and they're cheap. They're like $3 or whatever. But then you can, you can spend two $300 on a, on a die cast that is very, very well done. Oh, yeah. And they're out there. But it's fun. It, it's, it's a fun. It's not really a hobby of mine. But um, I always enjoy seeing what my girlfriend comes home with as far as, uh, you know, Hot Wheels or whatever. Well, this will be interesting to you. Sometimes when I'm going by someone's house and they have uh, in their garage, like you said, they have some cars or yeah. something and cars that match their cars. So this one gentleman asked me, he said, Lou, would you like to see my basement? I've got some die-cast Corvettes. Well, some die-cast Corvette was a major <laughs> understatement, understatement yeah. to what I saw. <laughs> so I did video his I said the greatest diecast Corvette collection ever, question mark. So uh, that's got over 100,000 views wow. on my channel. Uh, look at, and it's worth it because his... his How many were they? Because you said there's 100,000 uh, diecast Corvettes. I'm like, know, that's I, a lot of Corvettes. Boy, I, it'd be hard to guesstimate, but I'm going to give a guesstimate. I'm going to say... Uh, uh, very conservatively, probably over a thousand. Wow! Corv- and all Corvettes. Um, there were some other cars that yeah. snuck in there, but okay. there was majority. the majority were Corvettes. Wow, that's yeah. cool. I haven't tried to source one for my, um, excuse me, my C4 yet. Although I do have a a, a 1993 40th anniversary diecast at home that's very similar to to my car. It's almost it was that the 40th anniversary ones that you could get, could get them in a lot of different colors, but I think the official color was kind of that deep uh kind of a ruby red and it's close to the black rose metallic of my car so that's probably why i haven't sourced one of those yet but yeah it's fun it's 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 fun for the hunt and fun for just uh you know it's just something i've I've always been into hot wheels and and matchboxes as a kid and and it's just fun to see like i said what my girlfriend comes comes home with and and they keep introducing new ones that's how they get you hooked so and she's been getting some good stuff lately so it's just a lot of fun and that's what we like to do here on the car guys report we like to have fun mark vernon along with the lou costa will be sure to tell a friend about what we do here the car guys report it's available online at radiomisfits.com follow us at car guys podcast on twitter and of course you can email us to our email box is always open and ready for your comments suggestions complaints or congratulations car guys report at hotmail Dot com. I know that we seem to talk about electric cars a lot here on the Car Guys Report. I don't want to overdo the electrics, Lou, but it just seems like there's more and more, you know, that's kind of the way things are going. But believe me, we're still dedicated to the internal combustion engine here on the Car Guys Report. But this is something that I've always wondered about, and I think we touched on it very, very early in the um, very early episodes of the Car Guys Report way back when, is how electric cars and we're talking about pure electrics not not hybrids but pure electrics like a tesla how they perform in a colder uh, climate like what we have here in the midwest and it says here a study conducted earlier this year by the AAA found that when the mercury dips to 20 degrees fahrenheit and the heater is in use an electric car's operating range will drop by an average of take a guess okay guess i'm going to say 20 percent 
41 percent that's a lot that's that's terrible that is a lot yeah so so it says as an example here says if you own a nissan leaf that's otherwise rated to run for 150 miles on a charge you'd likely only be able to drive for 88 miles before having to plug in and recharge you'll also find it takes longer to bring the vehicle's battery pack up to a full charge because it you know it's cold frigid temperatures also limit an electric car's regenerative braking function which i didn't know and which and that's how they the brakes uh help to recharge the battery as you drive but it's just not a you know a huge amount but again that's something that gets diminished in cold weather as well and it says on top of that using the heater will drain electric vehicles battery at an accelerated pace while gasoline engines generate large amounts of heat that can be harvested to warm a car's interior an electric car's climate control system relies solely on battery power to accomplish this function and i always wondered about that because sure your your, your gas powered car gets worse mileage in in cold weather at least for the first you know 10 to 15 miles before it's fully fully warmed up and a lot of people don't drive that far so you're going to get crappy mileage if your car doesn't warm up but it's not a 41 percent drop i don't think in 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 uh, fuel efficiency and that's a lot though 41 percent yeah it is and that's something you know those are some of the questions that that we talk about i was having a discussion with a friend of mine just the other day about you know where's all the electric car stuff where where's it going where's it leading us you know are we going to get to the point where we're even talking about if you live in a um, condominium because there was a thing I saw in the paper about a guy that that uh, bought an electric car and he wanted to install a charger in his condominium's garage where he parks and the board wouldn't let him do it. And it's you know that's association living where you and they basically said you know if if you live in a, in a association type you know living arrangement like a condominium where you have a board and stuff you better check into all that stuff before you make that decision and what happens if you live in the city or or even in the suburbs and you live in an apartment and you don't have outdoor or indoor parking and how are you going to charge your electric car i mean they don't have charging stations yet in a lot of these complexes there might be some but not it's not a thing and i don't know are you just going to run a giant electrical cord from inside your unit i mean that wouldn't be practical if you live on the third floor and it's they all charge at 240 anyway yeah i don't know it's just really something that that you don't necessarily you get caught up in the hype of electric cars being really cool and 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 eco-friendly and things like that but there's a lot of unanswered practicality questions i think that that have to um you have to take into uh, consideration as well. And one thing that you had mentioned too, we're talking about, you know, cold weather performance with electric vehicles. And you were saying, and I agree with you, that heat kills batteries too. So if somebody has an electric car where you have another home in Arizona, correct? Mm -hmm. I wonder what the, you know, longevity, uh, you know, not, not the, not the uh, driving range, but the long-term life of the battery pack, if that's going to be diminished from just being in that climate. Well, I've been told uh, I haven't experienced it enough, but usually most of my cars are in Illinois. But if I put them on a battery tender, I mean, those batteries will last for Oh, they do. Yeah, that's awesome. But you can't do that with electric car. I mean, you're charging it all the time, and that helps. But if I do it out in Arizona, I said you don't get it. I've had to to change a battery already after only a couple of years. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's like I said, it's just some of those unanswered questions. And if you, you know, if you're listening to this uh, program and you do own an electric car, we'd love to hear about some of your uh, trials and tribulations. If it's the greatest thing ever or, you know, I'd never buy another one again or I'm just going to wait. I'm sorry I was an early adopter or, hey, it's great because I live in a house and I plug in every day and it's all ready to go. And it's nice not having to have a have a uh, gasoline bill or whatever. So carguysreport at hotmail.com is our email address. We would love to to hear from you. Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. One thing that always um, interests me these days, Lou, is obviously a lot of people don't uh, realize that, you know, if you buy an American car or you buy a German car or you buy a Japanese car, it's really not an American or a German or Japanese car many times because there's so many parts and pieces that come from other places in the world or their shared architecture or shared um, parts in a car that are used in other makes or models uh, within the within an umbrella of a of a man, auto manufacturer. And <clears throat> case in point, Volkswagen obviously is, um, I believe, the largest car maker in the world. And they own Volkswagen, they own Audi, they own Porsche, they own, um, you know, Seat, Bugatti, uh, Lamborghini, Bentley. I mean, just, you know, the list goes on. And on some of the higher-end cars, uh, we're specifically targeting the new Audi RS7, which has a twin-turbocharged V8 engine. Now, this is interesting. This appeared in Car and Driver magazine. It says the Audi's twin-turbo V8 is used throughout the Volkswagen universe and comes in several different strengths, as they say. So you can get this twin-turbo V8 that's used in the Audi RS7. It also shows up in the Porsche Panamera GTS, which is the four-door sedan Porsche, and it's rated at 453 horsepower in that uh, that, uh, setting. The Porsche Cayenne Turbo uses that engine, rated at 541 horsepower. The Bentley Bentagia V8 and Continental GT V8, so we're talking about the Bentley Continental and the Bentley SUV, both use that engine, 542 horsepower in that configuration. The Porsche Panamera Turbo, 550 horsepower. The, uh, in the Audi, it kicks out 591 horsepower, and then it also shows up in, in Lamborghini's SUV, the Urus, at 641 horsepower. And it's the same engine. They're just wow. tuning it differently with the computers, basically, is, is the computerization. They might do a couple of minor things internally or externally to it, but it's the V8 with the uh, twin turbos in the, they call it the hot V configuration, where they're in the center of the, of the V of the, of the engine. But obviously, it's a huge cost savings for a company to have basically one engine plan that they just tune slightly differently and they're putting in one two three four five six seven or eight different cars it's amazing and it's a hell of an engine though too i mean i have kind of a vague derivative of that engine vague i'm saying vague 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 in my um cayenne it's not turbocharged but it's still the 4.8 liter just naturally aspirated which they used for a long time too and that's a great engine so it's just interesting that this stuff kind of pops up where you don't necessarily know that it would be there you go like well i have an audi well actually yeah you do but is that really an Audi engine? It's a Volkswagen corporate engine, <laughs> more or less. But it is, is a, it's a fantastic power plant, and it's good to see that they're using it in a lot of different uh, applications. Boy, I would feel ripped off if I'm buying a Lamborghini and it's the same engine in some of the other ones. Yeah, but the thing is, 
you have to know what you have to realize that going in. I mean, the Lamborghini Urus is a fantastic SUV, but it's based on the same chassis that the the Bentley and the and I believe the Cayenne. It shares a lot of that architecture too, just not the engine, just the underpinnings of it. I mean, yeah. it's. I wouldn't feel that way. It's not to me. It's not quite the same as when GM started putting in Oldsmobile engines and Pontiacs back in the late seventies and early eighties, uh, because that that was even before. You know, they were probably one of the first ones that started doing that or even got caught, quote unquote, doing that because people were all up in arms when that first happened. When they're like, oh, I buy a Chevy for a Chevy engine and you're telling me it's got an Oldsmobile engine in it, you know, and they're all ranting and raving and stuff. And now it's just accepted that that they do this. It still says Audi or Porsche or Bentley on the engine itself with those big plastic shrouds they put on. So. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get too uptight about that, and especially too the, the Lamborghini. It's it's the, the highest tune in the engine, six hundred forty-one horsepower. So I'm not going to complain about that. But we're at the part in the program here where we talk about uh, cars that are for sale or uh, were recently auctioned off. And <clears throat> I know I talk about this one a lot too. Nicholas Me is a um, British uh, Aston Martin dealer, and I get their monthly emails on what's on their uh, used car lot, as it were. And they're not always Aston Martins. They just have some very cool cars that they get in. And this one, Lou, and I'm not a big one. I'm not as as starstruck, I think, as you are. But uh, this one has a little bit of rock and roll provenance. It's a little, little more than a little bit. Let's first start with the car. Awesome car, 2001 Ferrari 550 Barchetta. So it's that really cool, like, convertible with the, uh, you probably know the name of this, like the, the things that come off the headrest that go into the, the rear of the car, the, the styling, kind of like the Porsche Speedster or whatever, the, the tunnels in the body. I, I don't know what the name of, of what you call that. They look, but. Like, they look like extended headrests. Or well, something. kind of, yeah, but they look yeah. very cool. It was, uh, this car commemorated the 70th anniversary of Pininfarina's existence, and uh, they only made 448 examples, only 42 of which were constructed with right-hand drive. And obviously this is a right-hand drive car because it's being sold in England. So first of all, Lou, you're a, I, I know you like rock and roll. What would you say if Eric Clapton was the wow. first owner of this car? Wow, right. Okay. That's going to add a little something so, to, to that price. So, so who do you think... Does, it, does a guitar come with it? Yeah, No, it doesn't, unfortunately. But who do you think Eric Clapton sold the car to? <laughs> Just, it just gets better. This is just so awesome. Sold it to Led Zeppelin or something. <laughs> You're close. Eric Clapton, before passing uh, hands laterally to the Who's formidable writer and performer Pete Townsend. Wow. So this car was earned, uh, owned not only by Eric Clapton, but Pete Townsend as well, too, which is pretty incredible. It's got a V12 engine, 478 horsepower. It's this incredibly cool. They call it Nart Blue cool cool car and just the just the provenance of of clapton and, and townsend i don't know if there's any guitar picks hanging out under the front seat or something like that and this is remember that nicholas me we had talked about this early on in the show uh way back when at the beginning of the car guys report that uh, nicholas me had uh robert plant's aston martin that he owned and they actually had a picture online with from the 70s a black and white picture and robert plant sitting there with like a led zeppelin t-shirt on standing in front of this aston martin unfortunately they didn't have any pictures of Clapton and Townsend with this car, but I just think that's pretty cool that two arguably greatest, two of the greatest rock and roll guitarists ever 
own this car. So it's pretty cool. Oh, oh, and the price, Lou. Oh, I'm glad you asked me about that. Uh, you can just get your checkbook out, uh, $366,000. Wow. So actually, it seems like a pretty good price, though, for this car. 14,000 miles on it. Uh, V12. That's not many miles. No, it isn't. Rock and roll provenance. Uh, 40, 42 right-hand drive examples. Beautiful blue color. It's the, the uh, Ferrari 550 Barchetta. And a uh, little bit of rock and roll provenance to talk about here on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. If you like the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, be sure to check out some of the other programs on the Radio Misfits podcast network like the show the nude hippo the podcast it's an opi show each week nude hippo the podcast features intimate and memorable interviews is hosted by your friend and mine tony lasano it's an opi show you can go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts just search for radio misfits and when you do hey you'll find our podcast the car guys report informed automotive That's what you're listening to right now. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. And Lou was playing a little bit of a spoiler in in the last episode we did when we did the first of this two-part road and track 1960s best sports cars list. Uh, Went down the first 10. Just to recap, the BMW 2002, the Ford GT40, the MGB, the Alpha Julia, which was the forerunner to the Alpha GTV, the Alpha 33 Stradale, the Aston Martin DB5, the Lotus Elan, the Mini Cooper, and the Toyota 2000 GT. Actually, my favorite car on that first list, Lou, is the 2000 GT, just a beautiful car. And now we've got the second part of the list. And you had guessed that a Corvette would be on there. 1960s, the Corvette Stingray, obviously, was on the list. So you were correct with that. Uh, I, I guessed the Mustang. And you guessed the Mustang. Yep, that was I, on I there, too. A, I have another one. And though. you said you had a couple more. So, yeah, let's see what you got. So I'm staying with the same model on this one, but I'm saying the 911. Correct. Yes, and since the 1963. The, uh, uh, no, well, this is... 60. So actually, the 356 was made in the early 60s, and it is not on the list. Okay. But so. the Porsche 911 is since 1963. Yeah. All right. Porsche. But the 356, awesome car. And you could say that that's maybe even more iconic at the very, you know, because that's the car that became the 911 or, right. or what it transformed into. And the 911 is just such an iconic car that it's just like, wow. Um, the Shelby Cobra. Mm. That's a classic. You can't, you know, 289, 427, you know, what a great uh, what a great vehicle. That was always one of my favorite cars growing up as a kid. I had a model that I built uh, with the Shelby Cobra. And I just think that the halcyon days of the 60s, when you could walk into a Ford dealer and buy, order or buy a Shelby 427 Cobra for what, like $9,000 or whatever it would have been back then. Wow. That just blows you away. A couple of other classics on the second half of this Road and Track 1960s best sports car list: the Jag E Type. Oh, uh, that was that's a a no brainer, right? Uh, that I that my brain didn't get. Right? Here's one of your favorite cars, Lou: the Pontiac GTO. Oh, should have thought of that. The, I, I didn't think of that as a, I thought of that as a muscle car, though. Not so not much a sports car. Yeah, again, car. We, we had talked about that in last uh, episode. Whether you know, like a Mini Cooper, is that really a sports car? It, yeah, you know, it's it, it's a little so a little they, iffy. So would they say the Buick GSX then is 
Is that on Well, that will probably be in the 80s uh, okay. best well, sports well, car they, list. Uh, uh, well, or the GSX the was, GSX, yeah. yeah the, the, I, the, the it's the not yellow, on the list. The so. yellow one, and they, uh, they called it, what is it, like Jupiter Yellow and Saturn White or Saturn Yellow. I didn't know the names of the colors, a, but I know a, the car, Apollo the GSX. Apollo White and uh, Saturn Yellow. Saturn Yellow, okay. The couple of Ferraris on the second half of the list, the Ferrari 250 GTO, which is uh, mm-hmm. definitely considered a classic, and the Ferrari 275 GTB. That's a V12-engined uh, Ferrari. And then getting back to Earth for one or two here, the Datsun 240Z. And I definitely think that's a, a, a great car. That And that's right on the cusp of the seven, 60s because that actually came out, I believe it was... 1970, I think, was the first model year for that, but it was introduced in 69. Yeah, I never would have guessed that so, just because of the year. I would have thought that in the in The, the Mazda Cosmo, which is a very, very funky car, if you've ever seen one. They're very rare. They didn't make a lot of them, but it was the first mass-produced rotary. Uh, even, you know, obviously uh, Mazda was the company that perfected the rotary engine nsu which was a german manufacturer basically went bankrupt because they had a car called the r the row 80 r o eight r r o eight zero row 80 and they basically went bankrupt because uh they had a lifetime warranty on the engine to try to instill confidence in people and they just went bankrupt because they had too many warranty claims on their version of the rotary and mazda basically took it over the wink the winkle the winkle, the winkle yeah and they were the ones that perfected it so the mazda cosmo was the first mass-produced rotary engine card the jensen interceptor interesting that that makes the list because that's a big gt like a four-seater uh, car Jensen interceptors are awesome cars. You don't see too many of them around anymore either. But no. um, interesting that, but that had the uh, Chrysler power plant in it, so it was one of these classic mashups of you know uh, European design with uh, friendly uh, American yeah. mechanicals. And then uh, the last um, one on the list, and this is deservedly so, the Lam- Lamborghini Miura. That was in 68 or 69, I believe, when it debuted. Arguably the first mid-engine supercar, basically, the V12 in that car. And I say 50 years on, you look at that car, and it's just gorgeous. It just flows. It's super low. It's a beautiful, beautiful car. And I think, didn't Nicolas Cage own, like, three of those at one point mm. <laughs> during his, before his various bankruptcies? But I think he owned, like, two or three of them at mm. one point. But they're beautiful cars. They're million-dollar cars these days. Just gorgeous. So that was uh, the summation of the Road and Track 1960s best sports cars. Is there anything that you would add or delete from that list? Well, the three, three, five, six, apparently. Yeah, yeah you would want to um, put that on there. I would I would not have put the GTO in that class yeah. because I would have put that in the muscle car class. Uh, I, I guess looking back on your list and how we did it, I would have probably started to go by maker yeah. and then thought what fits from maker. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of like uh, if I do maker, I didn't hear the Volkswagen Carmen Ghia. Uh, I don't even Again, know. Again, that's that really not a sports car yeah, though. Yeah. That, but um, – I'm just trying to think by maker who would be there if they're putting the Pontiac there. There was nothing for Buick, nothing for Oldsmobile. I mean, so it had to be some kind of like uh, Chrysler, Mopar the, product, right? You would think, but yeah. there, there was nothing on no. there. No, no. Again, if sports car, I mean, how are you going to divide up? But you're right. They put the Pontiac GTO on the list. And is that really a sports car in the in the vein of a Jag E-Type? No, it isn't. No. I mean, not at all. Yeah, no. Now, obviously, that came out uh, the first, what was it, car and driver or something that had the the Ferrari GTO comparing it to the 64 
Pontiac GTO. A perfect, yeah, name only, a, a, right? A perfect pairing. Yeah. Perfect so. mashup, yeah. Um, but, you know, we find these lists at various uh, places, and they always make for good uh, pros and cons because you're never going to agree 100% with the cars on the list. My favorites, like I said, in the first half of the list, the 2000 GT Toyota, definitely. Second half of the list, I you know, the Lamborghini Miura, totally. The Porsche 911, totally. The Datsun 240Z, I'll take that because that's a it's, it's just a classic. Or the Jag E-Type, too. You just can't, you know, dismiss an E-Type. And they're really – it seems, too, Lou, not that I track the, the prices real um, closely, but it seems like E-Types have really started I – mean, they they were elevated already, but it seems like they're kind of starting as some of the market's going down lately. It seems like the E-Types are kind of going up in value, I mean, even more than they were. So it's interesting. I don't know what's causing renewed interest in that, but you never know what uh, causes renewed interest in a collector car or not. We're going to take a quick break here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, and we'll be right back after this. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. This past weekend was my... 28th anniversary and Bridget and I make a point of going somewhere every year for Mm -hmm. our anniversary uh, just because you know we love to travel and we love to eat and drink Mm -hmm. and and we love being away from the kids right and this weekend and you love being with each other Yes. Didn't I say that already? I thought that was the first thing. I thought that was the first thing I said. Oh, you meant, but that's fine. You're a busy guy. Busy guy. Um, Yikes. Tony Lasano podcast and Opie production on the Radio Misfits podcast network. Radiomisfits.com. A lot of anchors do that. Yeah, it's a thing. Are you ready? Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. Let's do it again. What? That wasn't good. No, we messed it all up. What's wrong? What? How? It was going good, and then it went south. No, it didn't. Well, if that went south, see what happens now. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. Back to you on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. I need an agent. And we're back. It is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable. One more item to talk about, Lou, before we get to the uh, Car Guys Report guessing game. And you're probably familiar with this because you're kind of a you're kind of a Ford guy to begin with. Do you remember when the uh, GT... Uh, 500 uh, Mustang came out uh, several years ago, and or the GT350. I'm sorry, GT350. Now the GT500 is the new one. Well, the GT350R. Yes, and that had carbon fiber rims on it. What's yes. your take on that? Um, well, the obviously the the value to it is lightweight. Yeah. So and stronger than most wheels. Uh, the challenge is once you hit a curb. Yeah. So you scuff it on a curb. You can't because it's going to. Yeah. Do. I mean, the thing is, it's not a repairable wheel. I mean, a, a, an alloy wheel you can, in in I don't want to say most cases, but in a lot of cases you can straighten them. I mean, there's companies that do nothing but refinish and straighten and 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 rejuvenate alloy yeah. wheels. But a but a carbon fiber wheel, yeah, like you said, if you scrape it or you somehow damage it, it's it's toast. You can't 
fix it. You can't bend it back into shape or something like that. But they were standard equipment in the GT350R, and they're coming on the GT500 as well. And it says here, for comparison, you talked about the, the biggest advantage is the weight savings. A set of originally original equipment forged rims, 19 by 10 and a half inches front, 19 by 11 in, inches in the rear for the GT350R, weigh in at about 33 pounds per wheel. And the carbon fiber GT350 wheels are 18 pounds each by comparison. So that's a pretty significant savings in what they call unsprung weight because it's the weight that hangs off the uh, suspension. So it's not supported by the suspension. And if you're really hardcore into performance and racing, you want as much as least the least amount of unsprung weight as possible. So if you're saving uh, 28, uh, 15 pounds of rim, 60 pounds uh, well, around the, the corners of the car. Yeah, it's about half. That That is pretty neat. The cost on these things, though, is pretty uh, pretty uh, interesting, too. The wheels on the standard 350R our replacements are $3,433 each mm. up front and a little over $4,000 each for the rears. Wow. So that's a lot. I mean, you know, you can pay, you can pay up for, uh, for alloy rims, too. Um, have you seen the carbon fiber rims in person? Because I yeah. don't think I've seen them yet. I mean, yeah, there's a there's a uh, I I do have uh, Gary Patterson, the president of Shelby, and um, Jim, and I apologize, I'm just skipping his first last name, uh, in charge of uh, Shelby Motorsports for Ford uh, Performance, uh, doing the uh, first Shelby gt uh, 500 out at uh barrett jackson last year okay so and it was kind of interesting they we actually had to call the ford vice presidents uh like a board meeting to see if they'd allow me to open the hood (laughs) because they didn't have it uh up to spec if you will so i was not allowed to open the hood and not allowed to start it so but that car was riding on on carbon fiber Mm -hmm. rims yeah and and i've got a couple of gt 350s on the channel that how do they look do they look cool um you know, you're either a carbon fiber fan yeah. or you're not. You know, I just wonder people, how it's going to weather. I don't think you're going to have a problem with weathering. You don't think so? Just because they're, you know, they're 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 going to have a durable finish. Yeah. But I think it's either you like the carbon fiber weave or you don't. Yeah. I mean, you know, some companies like uh, Bugatti will paint the carbon fiber to the color, you know, a color or something like that. But these are all pretty much showing the carbon fiber yeah. on the wheel. So, yeah. Um, am I a carbon fiber wheel fan? Um, I understand what they're trying to accomplish, so I, I get that. But, you know, I actually like to see a contrast. Yeah. Rim versus wheel. So I know that's something that, color that contrast. our man in the field, Roger Rexroad, uh, talks about sometimes, too, is I was toying with the idea, which I have now abandoned, but I was toying with the idea earlier um, in the summer of getting a set of different rims for my Corvette, and I was thinking of getting something in black, like satin black, and he goes, it's not going to look good because your car is dark purple, and if you get black rims there's just not as you said there's no contrast there and i know roger's all about contrast and just wants to if you're going to invest a lot of money in rims you kind of want to show them off right but they do look cool i mean the pictures that i've seen they're made by a company in um, australia called carbon revolution and they've been uh, upgrading their facilities and they're kind of the de facto leader i guess in um carbon fiber rims but i think we're going to see it on more cars uh, as the uh, technology obviously gets expanded and probably cheaper to, to, to produce at some point. But it was just interesting because I remember when I first heard about that several years ago, I'm like, wow, carbon fiber wheel, that's crazy. 
but it seems like carbon fiber is showing up more and more everywhere in in automotive you know the the alpha 4c car has a carbon fiber tub uh, a lot of the really high-end supercars use extensive pieces of carbon fiber so it's just interesting to see that they're using it that Ford kind of decided to go well, right away with the rim. Well, well, that's also because it's getting cheaper to manufacture. Yeah. Meaning, you know, some of the first early carbon fiber, when I think of like the, the Ferrari F40 with a carbon fiber tub, it was like, oh, my gosh. It's well, it's all like hand laid up, too, yeah. like early fiberglass yeah, cars. And, and that was super expensive. And you were just, you know, like, you know, you were just in awe with the fact yeah. that it was this this new material. Yeah. And... You know, now to your point, I mean, granted, those are super expensive rims, in my opinion. Uh, however, uh, you know, those rims 20 years ago would have been five times the price. Of yeah. That. So and not nearly as good, durable. Right. And, right. And, and, so as they're they're learning the process sure. better and better and better and making it match more and, and everything else. So, yeah, cool. So it's just something that something that caught my eye. I just wanted to uh, talk about it briefly here on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. And as usual, Lou has added great insight to the carbon fiber wheel discussion. Thanks so much for listening to the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. You can always catch us online at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. All you have to do is search for Radio Misfits. You can also go to opishows.com, and you can also just search for the Car Guys Report in Google, and hey, we'll be right there. Certainly appreciate you listening to us, and when you do, please subscribe as well. You'll get an automatic push notification when there's new content on our podcast and that's every week you can also rate us too we've got some nice uh, five-star reviews on apple Podcasts, and certainly we would uh, appreciate if you could take a moment or two to uh, give us your thoughts and rate us on uh, line on apple Podcasts. certainly would appreciate that the best thing to remember about uh, radio misfits podcast network and all the podcasts that are available there is they're totally free it's listening on your terms you can fast forward rewind replay go back and re-listen you can skip you can do all kinds of things and it's listening on your own terms whether you're listening on your smartphone your tablet your laptop your desktop in your car wherever you are that's where we can be with a podcast. It's totally free, and that's what podcasting is all about with the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It's the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. Lou, uh, other than being my co-host here on the uh, Car Guys Report, also has a very popular and successful YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou. 60,000 subscribers, 1,500-plus videos, and we always like to play the My Car Story with Lou guessing game where Lou will give me, uh, unbeknownst to me, I have no idea what he's going to throw out here. He's going to give me three videos that appeared on his channel, then I have to try to guess which one did the best. And as usual, I didn't do very well in last episode uh, with the Bentley that we were talking about, so I'm looking forward to seeing what you've got for me today. Probably just a separate note, just to keep the numbers in the right spot since we're going to be talking numbers before I get to the guessing game. I think by the time this airs, we'll probably be at 70,000 subscribers. Cool. So That's great. Fun. Yeah. Good. So um, let me talk a little bit about the guessing game. So the guessing game is I video a car. I throw it on the channel. These are all three cars that are videoed within the same week. So it's not that there's one in 2016 and one in 2019. So the numbers vary. And let's remember, this is my channel only. So this could mean absolutely nothing for somebody's channel and do absolutely fantastic in the other. That all said, Mark will guess the first place winner by the amount of views, the second place, and the third place. And by order of age, we're going to start with a 1969 
Pontiac GTO Judge Four Speed in the Carousel Red, better almost. Known That's as like orange. orange, yeah. Yep. So then there's a '73 Ferrari Dino 246 GTS in blue, hmm. not a red one, and a ride in that video. Hmm. And a 2019, we're going right to something wow. new, 2019 Porsche 911 Turbo S Cabriolet Exclusive Series, number 129. Wow. And what makes it exclusive? Uh, they only make about 250 of them or so. So uh, this one was car number 129. Okay. Like that. So let's go uh, just review. 1969 Pontiac GTO Judge, four-speed and carousel red. By the way, one of my favorite cars. 1973 Ferrari Dino 246 GTS in blue, engine sound and ride, and a 2019 Porsche 911 Turbo S Cabriolet with the exclusive series. Limited. Okay, I'm going to veer off here and go in the exact order that you presented those. The GTO number one, the Dino number two, and the 2019 Porsche Cabriolet number three. So, and I know the GTO came out one first because you were making sure it was going because you kept watching it again and again because it's your favorite car. So. <laughs> so that all said, the Porsche 911 is the winner. Really? Boy, did I blow that. At 4,629 wow. views. Wow. The number one was the Porsche. What color was that car? It was actually like a uh, gray. It's like a charcoal. But huh. here is the okay. interesting thing with that car. It was a cabriolet, or better known as a convertible. Yeah. And it actually had stripes. Oh, now you tell me. The convertible. Now you tell me. Well, you couldn't really tell that in the video. <laughs> uh, right, let's try that again. You couldn't see it in the cover picture yeah. because I had the convertible top yeah. down. But we lifted the top and put it back down. And I obviously specifically lifted it because I wanted yeah. to show that cool uh, convertible. And what color was the top then? Was it? Uh, it was black, black, but it had uh, some stripes in there wow. as well. Okay. Okay. So the other one is uh, number two was the GTO. Okay. That's what I was hoping. Th 3,525. So okay. a thousand less viewers. And the Dino, which I thought was going to, it's a very sexy, good looking yeah. car, came in at 1,373 huh. views. So I was really disappointed. I think people are still hung up. If you if you know what a Dino is, isn't it basically it's a V6, right? And it's kind of like people would kind of call it like a didn't it have some lineage with Fiat or something? Uh, the, I, I thought, the, the Dino is a V6 mid-engine yeah. car. Right. And the interesting thing about the Dino is it does not have the word Ferrari. Exactly, yeah. So it just has the word Dino, which was uh, Ferrari's son or something yeah. to that effect. So, But those cars have, I mean, value-wise, they're through the roof these days. Yeah, they, they are, they're moving up. But, yeah. uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. The caretaker, this was out in Arizona, was kind enough to let me drive it. Is that a V6 that I would approve of? <laughs> <laughs> sound wise it, it was it was good sounding yeah. um it, the interesting piece regarding the car for me was that it was the first gated shifter car okay. that i've driven oh wow so uh i i kind of had that on my bucket list that i'd like to drive how was it with a gated shifter. yeah how was gated, gated shifting? shifter was fun yeah uh, a little bit of uh double clutch meaning you put it in the middle clutch again yeah. and go in but uh the other thing was i was surprised at how high revving the six cylinder was. In yeah. other words, you know, it's I could take my Viper and be at 800 RPM and pull the clutch out. And yeah, it'll start to roll. This thing I had to be at about 2900 RPM wow. to start to get it to roll. Really? Yeah, I was I was almost huh. a little worried that huh. gee, I'm really getting the the revs up there. And the the gentleman I was yeah, driving you sure you with, didn't need a new clutch or something. No, the <laughs> gentleman slipping? I was driving with was saying, you know, no, you got to rev it up and wow. you know to get it to go. So huh. I was like at 23 2900. Yeah. just to, wow. to start to pull the clutch. Wow. Yeah. Cool. 
That's neat, though. Those are neat cars. I just think people don't really know what they, what they are. I mean, like you said, some people, if you know what it is, you, you get it. But if you don't know, they, they remember what you said, where it doesn't say Ferrari anywhere in the car, and people think it's really not a Ferrari and things like that. And, and it, so let's see if we can get those numbers up. Go to YouTube. Go to My Car Story with Lou Ferrari Dino. And you'll see uh, at least the blue one. And it might have a V6 sound that Mark actually likes. There you go. (laughs) My Car Story with Lou is the name of uh, Lou's popular YouTube channel. And we always play the guessing game as part of the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report is our very special part one of our very special Corvette C8 episode. Uh, Our man in the field, Roger Rexroad, will be joining us in the studio. So all three of us, Lou, me, and Roger. We'll be talking about the brand new Corvette C8. It's a two-part, very special episode, and part one is next time here on the Car Guys Report. Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable, thanks so much for uh, taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to uh, have had you along on this episode of the Car Guys Report. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with OpiShows.com. Opi is hippo spelled backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with Ray Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place, and that would be radiomisfits.com. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Hey, this is Tony Lozano, and if you like podcasts, well, I'm the guy that you want to meet. Well, maybe, but I have my own called Nude Hippo, the podcast, and I do it with uh, many members of and friends, uh, including Kimmy. Hello. We feature some of the coolest guests like... Ryan Cheverini, Ginger Z, Mr. Skin, Tom Dreesen, and so many more. These are like milestone interviews. They're timeless. So this way, you could pick it up at any point. I suggest you start from the beginning. Nude Hippo, the podcast, and Opie Show. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. <laughs> a new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Coming to the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, that's us. I'm Kimmy. I'm Sam. And I am Tommy right here. We're going to talk about Florida men. We're going to talk about paranormal stories. We're going to talk about uh, city stuff. Sex talk. Sex talk. And sex talk. And yeah, sex talk will come up. But only if it's brought up. we got to keep that on the DL. So come meet your new friends with and friends on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, radiomisfits.com, and Opie Production.